Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Tonight we want to talk about what it means to be a godly man, particularly in the context of a marriage, in a family, in a congregation. And I hope that this will uh, speak to you in some way. And I just want to read Psalm 1. Psalm 1, it's only six verses, it's very short, but perhaps this will set a tone for us. Uh, And by the way, those of you that are joining us online, we're glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll benefit from this presentation tonight. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, He's blessed when he does not stand in the way of sinners or when he refuses to sit in the seat of the scornful. That's a mouthful in one verse. But that man is blessed who will live that way. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night. And if he will do this, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither. Whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So at the Life Church tonight, we're celebrating godly men who obey Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. And we're doing our best to be in obedience to the Lord. And there are benefits that come our way when we honor God and his word. So we're going to ask some questions tonight of these men and get a response from them. And we'll just have a conversation and see how the Lord directs us today. So uh, first question, I'll direct first to Brother Joe Steed. How does a dad transition from work mode, being at work all day, in other words, being driven, solving problems, you know, having a business mind, then to come home and just being dad? How does a man detach emotionally from work and then emotionally engage his family and be present with his wife and his children? Brother Steed. It is not an easy task. And I figured out that if you're not a dad already, you get about a six or seven year window that you're cool. So you got to make the best of this when they're young because they get a little bit older, you're not as quite as cool anymore. Um, But the same way that you go approach your job intentionally, I think with the family, you've got to be intentional about it. Um, I know I did a lot of traveling with my job. And um, on my way to work, I would think about what the day was going to be like. I would plan it out. But I also learned to also plan out my day after work, after I got home. And I think the most important thing was just 
actually being as focused as a father as I was as a employee or as a manager of others and being very intentional. In other words, I had to have a plan every day. I had to think about, you know, some, some things, uh, some icebreakers, some things to talk about. And, uh, you know, how do I raise my energy level a little bit? I think that's when I discovered monster drinks was, uh, about the time I figured out that about the time you're going down like this from work, you need to figure out how to have some energy and some time for the family. So I would just say it's a balancing act. And as much as you put into being a good employee or being a good employer, plan accordingly, put that time, put planning in, and then follow that plan and just focus on, be as focused on, put the phone down, turn the computer off, look your son or your daughter in the eye and, uh, and have a conversation with them and talk with them and, uh, and make that the most important part of your day. Excellent. Travis or Chris, would you like to weigh in on this question? Yeah, I think Brother Joe uh, answered that really well. Um, I know I have a commute to work that's Oh, it can be anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. So uh, a lot of times I'll use that that drive as I'm coming from home, uh, or sorry, from work to home. Uh, I'll use that to try to get my mindset to get into, uh, you know, whether I put on worship music or whether I, I put on, a, you know, something edifying. I, I try to put something edifying on and, uh, you know, get in the mindset that when I get home to, to be the father, to be the husband. And uh, even though I may not, hit the mark every time. That's what we should all strive for is to be intentional with our kids and with our wives. And uh, I think that's the best thing you can do. Chris. Okay. Um, I'd say the first thing is don't put your job before your family and above all else, put God before everything, you know, seek God's face and he'll help you with, with that. Um, when you put your, you know, you put your family before your job, it's easier to disconnect and go from work mode to dad mode. When I was a trooper, I loved my job. I loved everything about it. Um, but I put my family first. When I was at work, I looked forward to going home. Um, I looked forward to hanging out with my family. And uh, I mean, your kids are there during the day. And they're just waiting for dad to get home all day. They want to tell dad they got an A on their test or they scored a goal in gym or, you know, they have this cool picture they want to show you. So they're just waiting for you all day. So, you know, you need to give your undivided attention to them. And, um, you know, some jobs are stressful and more difficult to do that. From somebody who, who would own a business, I can't speak from that because I never owned my own business, but I'm sure it'd be a little harder to disconnect because that's, that's part of your life. Um, but, you know, for me as a trooper, I saw a lot of pain. I saw a lot of hate. Um, dealt with my fair share of death and been called all kinds of things. But I still was able to disconnect. Now, I wasn't perfect. I still, I'm sure, had my struggle days. You know, days where I let some stress come home with me. But for the most part, I didn't. And I can only give God the credit for that. Um, he wants us to give us his, our burdens. You know, he wants us to cast our cares on him. That's what the Bible says. And, and that's what I try to do all the time. Excellent. One of my uh, favorite 
periodicals that I used to receive in the mail when we, uh, when there used to be such a thing as newspapers and magazines, was a, a leadership uh, periodical. I would receive it, I think, once a month, and I had stacks and stacks of them. But the best thing about leadership was the cartoons. And uh, that, that's why I really got it. And then I'd read an article once in a while. But there was religious Christian cartoons. And one of the, I wish I had the image to show you. It was the parsonage. And the pastor had just come home. He had his hat off. It was in his hand. He had his briefcase. And the front door was open. His wife was standing there. She had an apron on. She'd been cooking dinner. And then behind him is a flock of people. And she looked at him and said, how many times have I told you not to bring your work home with you? And I think essentially that's what we're saying when we come home. All of us, this is good advice for all of us as adults. I echo everything that's been said and what Chris just said about home being your happy place. And I can't tell you how many times I thought if I can just walk through that front door and close it and turn the deadbolt and put the world behind me, uh, my family is my refuge and uh, and so, amen to this question. I think, I think we've addressed the, at least approached the answer, how to detach from work and engage at home. Someone said, put the phone down. Mm-hmm. I'm working on that one. You know, it's really something nowadays. People have access to you 24-7. Yeah. And the last time I checked my cell phone, I think I averaged about 2,500 text messages a month. Wow. That's like insane. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the Lord helps us. All right, second question, and I'll present this to uh, Brother Travis first. Describe how a dad's increase in his walk with God, or let's say his spiritual vitality, will impact his family, particularly the children. How will, what happens when a dad, like we say in Pentecost, has revival, or a dad just takes the next step in his relationship with God? What is the trickle-down effect, if any, with the children? Yes, Bishop, that's a great question. And, you know, fathers... The husbands, we're the spiritual leaders of our homes. Um, I take that responsibility personally. I mean, it, it, everything rises and falls with me. If if I'm not sitting there with my Bible open, if Aiden doesn't hear me praying in the morning, how do I expect him to hear that? How, how do I expect him to do that? I can't get mad at him if I don't. If he doesn't see me replicating that, I, I, I can't get upset with him for for not doing it. And uh, I, I think it's ever so more that our kids need to hear us praying. It's ever so more that our, our kids need to see us with a Bible open. Uh, I think it's to have spiritual conversations at the dinner table, you know, or in our living room to where we, yes, we just, we t- put that phone away, we put the tablet away and we just have conversations with our family. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't raised by a, a spiritual father. Um, my mother's the one that kind of carried the water for us. And those are the vivid memories that I have is hearing my mother, especially on Saturday mornings, you know, and, you know, in Sundays, you know, it, it, most mornings I would wake up to hearing my mother praying over me and my sister. 
And uh, that's our kids need to hear that. They need to they need to see that. Great, Chris. As we increase in God, it shows in our life, and you know we become we're a role model for our kids, and our children look up to us. And when they see us seeking a closer relationship with God, um, it serves as an example to them. Um, when they witness our devotion, our commitment, and uh, positive changes in our life, um, it helps them to, it inspires them to seek a relationship on their own with God and not just off of us. And I believe the closer you get to Jesus, and the more humble it makes you. And when our kids, you know, see us acknowledge our own imperfections and that we have to rely on the grace of God, um, it, it helps them. They want to pursue their own relationship. And also, you know, we'll see our kids struggle spiritually. And, you know, the more, the closer we are to God and the, the deeper our relationship, we can help them with their struggles. We can share our past struggles and our triumphs and our victories and how we've learned from them and went on from, from there. And uh, one thing we, we did as a family we need to get back into it because we kind of slacked off. But we'd have family meetings like once a month when the kids were growing up. Just hang out in the living room, nothing on, maybe some worship music playing softly. And we would just check on their welfare, check on how they are physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Um, what's going on in school, church, uh, friends, stuff like that, sports, what's happening. Um, making sure that, you know, they're not struggling and we just haven't seen it. And... Uh, you know, we'll, we'd read Bible stories with each other and worship and pray with each other. And I thought that was really encouraging when they see that they'll, you know, hopefully they'll want to do that with their family. It was actually one of our meetings that we told our kids that we were moving to Kansas City. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'm going to take just a little bit of a different perspective. I was hoping I'd go last on this question because um, something that happened early when I became a father, it really changed my whole perspective of my Christian walk with God. You know, the Bible says no man has ever seen God. But I'll never forget when, now Brandon isn't here tonight, his firstborn, Connor is back there. But I'll never forget the first time that I saw him laying on, on, on Sharon right after he was born. And uh, we had prayed for him in the womb because he was, uh, the umbilical cord was around his neck. Uh, Satan tried to get him before he even got here. And when he was laying there on, on, on my wife's chest, and I thought, I see God in this moment. When I saw my second son born, and they had called us saying that he was in distress and that his lungs weren't developed and, and uh, he was going to have all kinds of problems. And my wife and I just held hands and just said a little prayer. But it was a big prayer. And he was born perfectly. He is, I'm not sure, he's, he might be preaching tonight. But, but in that moment when I saw that beautiful boy, I, I, I saw God. And then years, or a few months later after my first son was born, and dad's in here, if you haven't had this moment, I think you will, and some of you will remember having this moment. He was just laying down on a bed, on his stomach, sleeping by himself. And I stood in the hall and looked in on that room, on that beautiful home, that 
14 by 80 foot trailer that we lived in. And, you know, you watch them breathe and they'll kind of catch your breath and you stand there and wait for a second just to make sure they're going to breathe, you know, okay. And I remember saying this out loud, saying, God, I have never loved anything like I love that little boy right now. And I, and I distinctly heard God say to me, that's how I feel about you. And a father that won't let his children go hungry and, and want to take care of them. So I actually tried to let my boys know that, hey, you bless me and you inspire me. And the last thing I'll say, I know I'm taking a little bit. I won't be as long as the other questions. But one of the things that I'm most proud of is my son, Zach, who, uh, who soon will be going through a, um, a transition service where he's going to be pastoring in Ripley, Tennessee. He told, my, he, he told his mother, my wife, he said, there's one thing, I'm only going to ask for one thing when dad's not here anymore that I want. And it's this Bible that's just fallen apart at home that I used to teach out of. And he, and he saw me preach out of, and, and we had Bible studies out of. And the only thing that he asked for was that word of God. And I'm so glad of that impact that the word of God has had on him. Amen. That's beautiful. Uh, hope you got more than one Bible because you got two sons. All right. So I heard the story about a family that was, had left church on Sunday morning. They were driving home for dinner, and they were all dressed in their Sunday best, and they had a wonderful service, and there was a couple teenagers, and then there was a six-year-old boy. He was really fussing, and he was upset, and he was crying, and his father couldn't believe it. We just came out of Sunday school. We just had a wonderful service. And he looked back at that little guy, and he said, son, what are you so upset about? He said, well, dad, you heard what the pastor said? when he dismissed this morning that every child in this church deserves to go home with a family where there's love, joy, and peace. But I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> and the point I want to make is that, um, you know, there's the perfect family and then there's the real family. <laughs> and we all pretty much at home keep it real. And when you have a little touch of heaven, not just when you're in the house of God, but when you're in your house, that's where the real impact happens. You know, pastors and Sunday school teachers and youth ministries and all the programs we have at the church, at best, are a supplement to where the real teaching happens and the real modeling happens happens at home. That's where the real work gets done. And you've heard me tell this before, but twice we've had outsiders uh, comment on what they felt in our home. Once after we had vacated the home, the lady called and asked my wife, said, who are you people? My wife said, what do you mean? She said, no, I mean, who are you? She said, well, I'm Marlene and my husband's Stan and we're a pastor of a church. She goes, aha, she says, why are you asking? She says, I feel something in this house. You left something in this house. She said, what is it? She said, I would say it's peace. That doesn't happen if you live in chaos. If you live in 
you know, carnage and the house is burning, your family's burning down every day and there's always a fight and always a crisis. And, you know, we have to take, as men, we have to take control, benevolently take control of the atmosphere of our homes. We're the thermostats. You know, uh, our wives may be the thermometers, but we're the thermostats. (laughs) And uh, the other story, you heard my wife tell this not too long ago, but I just love it. Uh, we were, had a new refrigerator being delivered, and two big burly guys walked in, and, and he said, man, where do you want this refrigerator? And he was traipsing through the living room, and suddenly he stopped. He said, oh, there's something in this house. She said, sir, what do you mean? No, ma'am, I feel something. He said, I'm in houses all day long. I feel something in this house. She said, oh, that, that would be Jesus. He said, ma'am, that's exactly what this is. He felt Jesus. So when you, when you have that going on in your home, see, I wasn't just a pastor here. I wasn't just trying to be a man of God here publicly and in front of people. But it's real when you take it home. It's real when your children believe that it's profitable to serve God. And uh, I think we're again approaching the answer to how our spiritual vitality impacts our family. And there definitely is a trickle down. All right. So we're right on schedule. Our third question has to do with men expressing love, expressing affirmation. And this is easier for some than it is for others. Uh, You know, some men, you know, they're just, they're good men, they're hardworking, but they're like Neanderthals. And, uh, you know, they, you ask them a question, they grunt and scratch and, 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 and belch, and, <laughs> and that's about all you can get out of them. But uh, our question is, it's very, very important that a father or the father figure in the home learns how to express love not just by bringing home, you know, the bacon, not just by paying the bills and providing a roof over somebody's head. We're all pretty good at that. But how important is it for a dad to tell his wife, to tell his children, to express to them that he loves them, he wants them, he wants to be with them, and particularly for a dad who may be struggling to show this kind of affection, how do we express love and what has been your journey on this? And I'll ask uh, Chris first. Chris, how have you expressed love to your children, your family? It's funny you say that because this is really easy for me. Um, I'm sure most of you have either read or heard of um, the book, The Five Love Languages. Well, my top one is words of affirmation. So... Um, it's never been a struggle for me, but maybe for a, a dad or someone who is having trouble with that, um, for whatever reason, it could be, you know, let's say it's when they were growing up, their dad wasn't, you know, verbally affectionate towards them or something. Um, I would say to them, you know, maybe think about when you were younger. Think about what if your dad, what if your dad would have said, hey, I'm, I'm proud of you, son. You know, I love you. Um, good job today, or, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be your dad. Think about how that would make you feel. And, you know, we want to give everything to our kids. 
So that might help and make it easier for you to be able to step outside that comfort zone. I mean, start small, um, you know, right before they go to bed, right before they leave the house. I love you, you know. Um, good job today or something like that. Just to start off small. Um, if that's even still a struggle, I mean, you can start off with something just a little different, like notes, you know, write a little note, put it on their pillow or on their bedside table or in their lunchbox or backpack, you know, just little notes saying different, different things. Um, and then there's other ways like spending time with them, working on a, on a, a task with them or just hanging out with them. You know, eventually your, your children will respond to that. And they might start coming up to you first and being like, hey, Dad, I got my note. I love you. Thank you. And then it'll be a little easier for you to, to express that back to them. You know, it'll, it'll take time, but you can do it. Yeah, I think it's important to, to say it. One of the, it always kind of bothers me when I hear someone say, well, do you tell your wife? Do you tell your kids you love them? And their answer is, well, they know I love them. It always bothers me a little bit because... Um, I think you should say it, and I also think it's important to, um, to, to speak value into your children as well and to talk about why you're proud and talk about things that they do well and, you know, reasons why. Yeah, I love you because you're my son, but let me tell you something I really love about what, you know, what you did the other day or, or what I've seen you or just who you are and the way that you approach things and, uh, and things like that. I also think you've got to be genuine when when you do that. Um, kids, they know us. <laughs> kids can see right through us if we don't really mean it. And I think one of the important times to, to let your kids know you love them is when you are disciplining them or when something tough is going on or when they do disappoint you, you know, with a grade or something like that. Um, when you're administering, you know, things... It doesn't lessen it a little bit, but, but you know that you're still my boy. You know I still love you. You know why I've got to do this, you know, and, and those kind of things. So um, there's no bad time to tell your kids that you love them. Yeah, this is, uh, this is one, just being honest, this is one that uh, I feel I need to, to work on um, more. Um, you know, I, I love my family, but um, just saying the words all the time or, or, or in, I, I know I'm guilty of not saying it enough. Um, I, I, I know my family could would tell you, you know, I would rather show you than, than actually say it just because I don't know if it's maybe kind of the way I was it was raised. It uh, it just, you know, uh, I had a World War Two grandfather. My dad was in Vietnam. I mean, they were just kind of tough, gruff men and. I knew, and I still to this day know my dad loves me. But, uh, you know, to have, tell you that my dad told me he loved me every single week, uh, probably not. So it, it's just, uh, I need to work on that. But, you know, I, I became a father by marriage six years ago. And uh, I can't believe it, but Aiden's going to be a senior next year. That, that's how fast time goes. And, uh I know I try to be intentional with him as much as I can. Um, I, I try to take him on trips, just me and him, spend time together. And um, I know I've, I've found myself, uh, you know, especially seeing as he's grown into a young man, you know, a lot of times I'll just stop kind of what I'm doing and I try to just give him little nuggets here and there. 
and just tell them, you know, that, uh, you know, life's not, not easy. There's, there's, you know, you're going to be making a lot of important decisions um, concerning your life here in the next, you know, uh, 12 months, 18 months. And uh, so uh, I, I just don't wait to tell your kids that you love them. Don't t- wait to tell your, your, your wife that you love them. Um, like I said, I, I'm sorry for being a little honest with you guys, but that, that's, uh, that's something that we, all men, we, you know, um, take the beard away, take the bigness away from me. I'm, I'm, I'm a teddy bear, really. I am, and, and I may try to, to, to come off a little bit like that way sometimes, but uh, really, I, I love my family, and, and I, just, I just pray that uh, I, I do a little better in that, that area. Thank you, Travis and Chris and Joe. So this is a tough one for most men. And, you know, we don't want our boys to be sissies. So sometimes we're reluctant to, uh, you know, hug them, tell them we love them. We want them to be tough. We want them to grow up to be men. But uh, actually the opposite effect can happen if we don't express love in a healthy way, man to man or man to young man. Uh, Words of affirmation are really, really important to a child. And not just when they perform well. Don't withhold your words of affirmation just because of an A and all the things that we've talked about, uh, but just for no reason. Just affirm them uh, because of who they are. Marissa shared a story with me recently I had long forgot about. But when she was 16, I took her with me to speak uh, when I was speaking at the Indiana camp meeting. And they have a campground, and it's, it's one of those old-time church campgrounds. You know, it's dusty, and they have a tabernacle. And, and I remember it's just her and I, and I'm thinking... Oh, Lord, this girl doesn't know one person on this campground. And what am I going to do? You know, I've got to be with the preachers and got to hang out. And and I was really worried. You know, who's she going to hang out with? She didn't know anybody. And she told me, she said, so when we got to the campground, we stayed in a hotel. But when we got to the campground, she said, I stepped into the ladies' room. She was 16. And she said, in five minutes, I came out with two girls my age, and we were all acting like lifelong friends. And she said, you told me after the service that night, I came out, I said, Dad, I'll be hanging out with my friends. And you said, Marissa, what an outstanding young lady. You walk into the ladies' room, in five minutes you come out, and you got your best friends there, and you ended up staying on the campground. And she said, it shaped my social skills. It shaped my ability to feel like I could make friends quickly and, and make good friends quickly and be a good judge of friends and so on. And so just me affirming her uh, in that 30-second encounter shaped the rest of her life. And so don't un- underestimate uh, the value of your affirmation. Now, I'll speak, I think I can speak for Pam. At least this is my story. My sister and I, World War II parents, the greatest generation. I never heard my mother or my father tell me they loved me. But we, you couldn't have grown up in a more loving home. 
And we had family altar. We had spiritual vitality. We had prayer meetings. We had a lot of music, a lot of singing, a lot of fun. We always went on a family vacation. Dad always took us somewhere, but I never heard them tell me they loved me. And I want to recommend a book, and I've done it before here, but if you're new at the Life Church, if you're a man especially, read a book entitled The Blessing. It changed my life. It's written by Gary Smalley and John Trent. I read it when Justin was a newborn, and it impacted how I managed, trained, raised, spoke to, and affirmed my children. Uh, The Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. We've given it out here twice at the Life Church on Father's Day, a little paperback, and it changed my life. It rocked my world. But I still remember on a Saturday, I was 26 years old. Justin was a newborn. My wife and I lived in uh, Wisconsin, and I told my wife, I said, when I have my phone appointment today at 2 o'clock on Saturday, every Saturday we had a standing phone appointment. Of course, in those days, no cell phones, and you had to call after 11 p.m. or on weekends to get a price break. Nobody called during the daytime. It was way too much money to call in the daytime. So it was a weekend call, 2 o'clock, and I was determined before I hung up, I was going to tell my dad I loved him. And my heart was beating out of my chest. It seems so ridiculous now. But I was scared to death because I was afraid he wouldn't tell me back that he loved me. So just before we hung up, I said, Dad, I just want you to know I love you. And my dad said, well, we appreciate you too, son. I'm like, oh. I really tried to get it. And I, told, I hung up the phone. I cried. I said, he didn't say it. I said, but I'm not giving up. So I, next Saturday, uh, Dad, just before I let you go, Mom and Dad, I just want you to know, I love you. My mom, oh, we appreciate you, honey. You're doing a good work for the Lord. I'm like, so the third time is a charm, they say. Mom and Dad, just want to tell you I love you. My dad goes, well, son, I love you too. I'm like, I thought I died and went to heaven. I like got the blessing. That's so simple. That's so basic. That's something some of you maybe have heard your whole life, but I wanted to hear it, but I had to give it before I could get it. And it was a life changer for me. So I've tried to give that to my children. All right. Words of affirmation are very important. Our final question tonight, we have five minutes, is this. What would you say to a dad who has a complicated relationship with a child, perhaps because of past mistakes, Mistakes that he has made or mistakes that, let's say, the child has made. And he would like to restore and repair the relationship. What are some steps that a dad can take to repair a broken relationship? And Joe, we'll start back with you. Yeah, this is one that's going to be hard with, you know, short time to really give it the kind of answer. And I would say that if you're struggling with relationship or you've had relationship issues and you're struggling... Seek someone to talk to. You know, you need more than just probably our notes tonight. So I would say find a mentor, find someone to talk to. But just from my own experience, a few, a few quick notes that I did make um, was that you've got to apologize and take responsibility for your part. And be proactive. Be the first one to apologize. Be the first one to, to reach out. Um, And then once you've done that, and as a godly man repented of it, um, forgive yourself. 
and have some confidence that this is going to get better. And I think to even get to that point, one thing that a lot of us guys like to do is be right. You know, argue. In my younger days, I would argue a point. If I thought I was right, it didn't matter where it was going. I, I was right. Well, I learned painfully over the years, relationships are much more important than being right, guys. I'm glad I'm seeing some head shake in there. And some of you younger guys, listen to this one. You know, it's not always about being right and being the smartest guy in the room. Managing a relationship is much more of an art than, you know, having the right answer all the time. And the last thing I'd say is be patient. It's going to take some time. Um, be patient. There's going to be times of awkwardness. There's going to be times of, of anger. Um, there's going to be times, you know, and... Boy, when, when you're dealing with, with a family issue, you know, one, one thing that I've said and I've told someone in this church not too long ago is, you know, it's, it's the craziest, best, most glorious, most terrifying, most satisfying thing, roller coaster you can ride is relationships sometime, you know, with, with your kids. It can take you the highs and take you the lows. But be patient with the process on restoring. It's not going to happen overnight. Be patient. Get some help. Well, I think Brother Joe covered the men's side of it pretty good, and I heard Bishop say that maybe if you have a, a child who has gone through some issues and uh, trying to restore that, um, I think the best thing to do is just to keep a communication open with them, even if they're not living the life that you, you would want them to live. Just uh, Keep that communication open with them. Uh, keep them covered in prayer and know that God's promises are real and that uh, God sees exactly where they're at. And uh, he can restore that relationship and he can heal that relationship. And uh, that's what I would have to say on that one. Actually, just reiterating what they've said, um, acknowledge your mistakes and take responsibility for them. You know, recognize the impact that your behaviors had on your kids. Um, apologize and communicate. Allow them a chance to express how they're feeling about it, you know, without judging them about their feelings. Um, right off the bat, it's good that you recognize, you know, and want to make those steps towards patching up a relationship. And like you said, it takes time and effort, so be patient with it and be consistent. Don't just be like a one-off, you know, you Start off, you know, seeing them, hanging out, just trying to build that relationship, you know, being affectionate, but then you just kind of trickle off, just stay consistent with it. Well, why don't we all stand? And we certainly have not exhausted the subject of being godly men in an ungodly world and trying to uh, manage and lead and serve our families. You know, Paul, on this last question, how do you, stay in communication when there's a troubling relationship, uh, either a mistake on the part of the, the dad or the child. And I think these men have addressed it. You know, if we bear the responsibility of the broken relationship, we should uh, be the first to reconcile and do that humbly. Uh, Paul said, nothing shall separate me 
from the love of God. And in this particular question, we must be like Christ and not allow anything, no matter how disappointed we are in ourselves, in our child, like it was just expressed by Travis, keep the lines of communication open. Let nothing bring dysfunction. Don't allow an elephant to be in the room about any relationship with your child. If it needs to be talked about and, and resonated, make sure that that happens prayerfully. And you'd be surprised how anxious God is to answer a prayer like that. And children know if we're judging them or if we're loving them in spite of the issues that we may have in the relationship. And we believe that God will uh, ultimately help us to restore it. Amen. Well, we hope that we've challenged you, we've affirmed you, we've helped you, we've equipped you in some way uh, to be what God has called you to be. So let's pray over our families. Let's pray over our loved ones. Let's ask the Lord to uh, just help us to love each other as Christ loved us, shall we? Lord, we just want to say thank you for these few moments together. And we thank you for the body of Christ, especially, Lord, when we as families sit together in heavenly places with the Lord. I pray a blessing, Lord, on every father, every man in this room right now, and every man at the Life Church. Lord, we've got hundreds of men here that impact. Lord, hundreds, if not thousands of children, Lord, either through direct or indirect relationships. And I just pray that you'll help us to be salt and light, that we'll be savory, Lord, and that we'll bring light into darkness. And I pray that, Lord, you'll heal us, that you'll empower us, that you'll equip us, Lord, to be the men that you've called us to be. This world needs a model of an apostolic, godly man to show this world what manhood is all about. Lord, this world has lost its way. It's lost its mind. Lord, but I thank you for sanity in the church because we stand on the word, your word, Lord. Guide us, direct us, help us, Lord, to please and honor you in everything that we do and say. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.